Welcome, friends, to Everyday Insights, where I catch up with dear colleagues and share their life learnings so we can all learn to live a little happier. This is the first podcast in my series on personal success, where I'll uncover how different people define success and how we can ever hope to attain it. My first guest is Chris Dethloff, a friend I met just a few years ago as a market research moderator. He's a very perceptive, personable, and empathetic person who overcomes more challenges on a daily basis than you'd ever guess from meeting him. So let's dive right in and you'll learn about him doing such things as dropping out of college from throwing up too much, living and succeeding with debilitating chronic disease, raising empathic kids, and building success through setting attainable goals. Oh yeah, and the best barbecue in Texas. Hey, well, how you doing, Chris? Nice to see you. Good, good. It's been a few weeks since we last talked, not not a crazy amount of time, but I thought it'd be fun to catch up. I guess we start off with just a little introduction on who you are, a little bit on your background and uh, how we know each other. I'll kind of just a little bit about me. So my name is Chris Detlock. I currently uh, live in the great state of Texas. I love it. Absolutely love it. You and I met, I'm doing market research while you were at Intel and I was at a company called Think Peace Partners kind of still a little genesis about how I got to think games partners. So I went to college. Uh, nice. Most people did, right? <laughs> and in college, I was studying to be a healthcare administrator because I love hospitals. Um, and while I was working there, I had a buddy who worked at the internal IT department. We played video games together. That's how we knew each other. Awesome. I was complaining about my job one day. And he was like, that sounds like a crappy job. I was like, yeah, that's a pretty crappy job. I was at a call center. I was calling people, cold calls. And he was like, hey, why don't you come down to the university? I work in the IT department. I manage the Microsoft stack at the company. So come down. I'll teach you how to be a SharePoint admin, teach you how to be an Outlook admin, and uh, kind of went from there. And then he ended up leaving. I, as a student, was like, hey, I'll just apply for the job to get experience, right? Mm. And see how far I in the application process I could go. And uh, they ended up hiring me. Yeah, so you were like an intern kind of thing before that or just like yeah. a student? Yeah. Yeah, and then they were like, hey, we want you to drop out of school and take this role full-time. So I did. Oh, wow. Uh, I did that for about a year. And then I got deathly ill, right? Just throwing up 60 times a day, coughing up blood. Oof. Couldn't stand up without passing out, right? Just like sick. Jeez. So I quit the job, came back to Texas. And then at the end of it, kind of got better a little bit. And uh, I loved making money. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> I loved making money. So I was like, I'm not going back to school. Yeah. Didn't feel right. Jokers. Yeah. And I uh, ended up going to North Dakota working in the oil fields for a little bit. I was a pumper. So I rebuilt, I don't know how much you know about oil, but. Not that much. I would just, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so it's about art of seeing the love. Yeah. Yeah. So I would go around to different pads and make sure that the flow was flowing the way it should. And if it wasn't, I would repair something or break something a little worse and then call someone above me and be like, hey, this is an issue. <laughs> um, so I got pretty good at that. Um, and then I was like, this is not the place to have a family. Like I would like to get married and have a family, do that whole nine. 
Um, so I went to a place called Logan, Utah, at Utah State University. I had a buddy there. I was just bumming with him, trying to figure out what to do with my life. And as a high school volleyball coach for two and a half years. Whoa, I didn't know that at all. Yep. Yep. I think yep. just before you met your wife and everything. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So as a high school volleyball coach for two and a half years, I met my wife a year into that process. Yeah. We dated for about a year and a half. Um, got married. Um, I started working for ThinkPiece as a qualitative support specialist, kind of just like glorified tech support. Yeah. Um, because my dad um, is the person who trained Bonnie, who owns ThinkPiece. Mm. So kind of nepotism. Right. You got the good connection yeah. in there. Yeah. yeah. Got a good connection. Um, so that's kind of where that happened. And then I started working at ThinkPiece and met you. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah, it's a quite a meandering career. Long-winded. I mean, I think mine's yeah. probably somewhat similar into market research, but, uh, or, you know, of like a variety of different things, maybe, but some kind of piece throughout it. Like yours, you had a little bit of piece throughout there. Even your call center job, I imagine you were, I don't know, probably following a script, but, you know, you have a certain person personability to yourself that uh, I'm sure came through. Or, or what do you think is the thread through all that stuff? And, and yeah, and so this is what I would say about all of it, is it's nothing but soft skills right? It's like, I'm not that marketable on paper. I'm not that great at a lot of things. Um, but I have pretty high touch human interaction. Uh, I think I leave a good impression and people often call me back for jobs, right? So like the volleyball coach thing, right? I was at a sushi restaurant. Did you play volleyball before that? Did you know anything yeah. about volleyball? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. This should all be said. I'm a very good volleyball player, <laughs> right? Um, so I was at a sushi restaurant and someone next to me was wearing volleyball clothes and I was like, Hey, I'm new to Logan. I would love to play volleyball. Like, can I come play volleyball with you? What do you do? What does this look like? And, um, they're like, yeah, come play with me one time. So I went and played with them, did a bang up job. Good job, Chris. And at the end of it, they were like, what do you do? And I was like, nothing. I'm looking for a job. (laughs) And they were like, oh, that's cool. I'm the varsity coach at a high school. Would you like to come and coach? So they, I coached the freshman team one year and the JV varsity the next. Yeah. So I think soft skills is the, is the absolute key. Yeah, a little bit of luck, yeah. a little bit of uh, the right time, the right yeah. place, or and yeah. kind of following your, following your passion there a little bit. Yeah. And you so, showed up to that thing. Yeah. The insight, I don't know when this is going to air or how this is going to air. I got um, contacted about two weeks ago about a guy I worked with at the university I went to. And he was like, hey, you left such a great impression on me. I now work at a big tech company. I'm a product lead. I have, you know what I mean, a space on my team. Oh, wow. Get, get together a resume. I'd love to have you. Right. So right now I'm currently going through the process of applying to a big tech company. Um, job that's way above my pace, <laughs> but my soft skills might get me in. Wow. So. Wow. Well, best of luck, of course, with that. I'm sure, appreciate it. I'm sure the think these folks will be, will sorely miss you, but if you can find a good path, that's, that's uh, more power to you for sure. Has that been something you've been thinking about for a while at all? Or is it totally random? Like just coming up, this call comes in, you're like, well, maybe I should consider that. Yeah. So actually totally random. The end goal is I just want to be a consultant, right? run my own shop, mm. demand a high price tag. Okay. Right. 
Um, I feel like I do that already <laughs> slightly, <laughs> right? But I don't see all the profits. Yeah. Right? Um, and you don't have to do all not? the other pieces of work too. I mean, yeah. Right. right. So I think doing a big tech company for two or three years looks really good on my personal sheet. Yeah. That'll be great. Like a big name to, to put on there. Good uh, have. Yeah. When you look through your resume, this doesn't have that big corporation thing that someone could identify with or something. Right. Yeah. How does that feel to you? Like, do you feel like your resume is lacking or that it's just, you want to improve it? Yeah. So really insecure about it actually. Yeah. Yeah. Cause, uh, I don't have the college degrees. Yeah. Right. So a lot of the people I'm in industry with have a bachelor's and a master's and 10 years of experience. Yeah. Right. And so it's, how do I pad this or keep relevant? or do something that makes me competitive in this market um, to the point where I can start my own business, hmm. right? Once you have your own business, no one cares what your degree is. They care about your, you know what I mean, track record, your history, what that looks like. Made it through all these times. Uh, you keep finding good ways through and, and you don't have those, uh, those credentials kind of backing you up or something. And, and it doesn't seem to like slow you down in any way or, or like a lot of people like one of the things we want, I want to talk about in general, right, was this personal success idea. Like, what does it mean? Uh, how do we define it? How do we achieve it? And what are the mm -hmm. barriers and everything to it? Um, and I think when we look at people, um, it's easy to see them and see their life and be like, wow, look, look at all these successes he's had and look at how he's, this great trajectory he's on or she. And, but then as a person, you can you feel that insecurity or you feel like man i'm not good enough or i you know i wish i could do better or all the, you know this this striving and this uh, i don't know there's different feelings in there that i don't quite understand and so how does that feel to you you know that uh, do you think you've been successful all this time or, or is it still something out in the future that you you're trying to get to first off i think i need to caveat this i am just like incredibly blessed right like blessings from God 24 seven in my life. Yeah. Right. So kind of in the success vein though, I do not think I am super successful in terms of where I want to be. Um, but I think I have achieved a lot of mile markers that make me successful. Right. So I have ambitions and goals and things that are down the line, but compared to 15 year old Chris, I'm incredibly more successful than I thought I could ever be. Mm. One of the things that makes me really insecure about this, right, is the college degree, right, and my ability to output work. So I don't know if you know this, we've never talked about this. I didn't go to three years of high school because I was like in a hospital bed. Dying. Wow. Right? They're like, you're going to be dead when you're 18, you're going to be dead when you're 21, you're going to be dead when you're 25. So I've always been hyper insecure about my academic accomplishments um, because of, I feel like this is a big limiting factor, Yeah, right? Like I don't have a really solid high school education. I don't have any college education. Well, I, I went for a little bit, but yeah. So it's something that's always been kind of over my head. But, and so I think this is dovetails personal perfectly into your conversation, right? I think 
Have you ever read The Art of Not Giving Enough? No. Probably one of the best five books I've ever read in my life. Right. And so it talks about at the start, the, you have values and metrics, right? And so everyone has the same values. I want to be successful. I want to be rich. I want to be a good dad. I want to be X, Y, Z, right? Um, but the metrics part is what changes from person to person. So what makes you successful? Well, it depends on the metrics you're using to gauge it, right? So if the metric you're using to determine success is if I'm a billionaire and I have 20 cars, you're never going to achieve it, right? But it's the metric to determine successfulness is I'm working a full-time job, I'm providing for my family, and I'm in like a committed relationship of some sort, right? That I can hit those marks. So I feel like a lot of what has made me successful is I've changed my metrics mm. to be easily attainable and kind of more short-sighted. And I really understand how to set metrics that I can go and achieve, right? So I don't have knowledge from a traditional institution, but I'll read books and I'll take Udemy classes and I'll do all of these things that I can look back and say, this is a metric that takes me to this value. Yeah. Right. And this is kind of what market research has really helped me understand is the, the person's metric is completely personal and always changes. It can change by where they grew up, what they do for a living, what they currently prioritize in life. But the value is always the same, right? Um, so you have to understand the value understand the metric and create a clear path through. So a long-winded response, but I think I might've hit something important in there. Yeah, that was great. That was great. The super interesting stuff. I'll definitely check that book out. The oh. one thing I wanted to poke on there is uh, like how you chose those easier metrics. You know, like that's not an easy thing to do either. And, no. and then how do you like commit to them and say, I'm going to, you know, take this on to my core value. I will be satisfied if I, X. Yeah. And so the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. Right. And Chris, by the way, pausing before you, if you want to think for a moment there, uh, you know, I think you're one of the most, the, the smartest and, and, you know, most interesting people I know all those, um, downsides you can think of in your past. Like, you know, I don't see that in you. I, I bet you after all that stuff. And, and I think you're a great guy. <laughs> I, I really appreciate that. Yeah. So the question kind of came back to how do you change your short-term metrics? The first thing in my mind is understanding what metrics you inherently have. I attribute a lot of my soft skills to my mother and my grandmother. My grandma's father, right? My, I guess my great-grandpa, absolutely abusive alcoholic. Mm. So my grandma got really good at reading emotions to know if, hey, can I talk to him? Hey, do I need to steer clear? Hmm. Hey, how do I interact in this scenario? My mom picked it up and, it, and I kind of picked it up from her. So just from this interaction that my great grandpa had with my grandma, there's a lot of metrics that I personally have that I may not even realize. I view being successful or happy 
as when people around me are content and there's no underlying issues. And so that's something that I picked up generationally speaking. There's one of my favorite stories is about a mom and her kids are like, hey, why do you cut the ends off of the, the Christmas ham? You just cut the both butts off and you throw it away. And she was like, well, that's just how you make ham. And they were like, no, um, no, it's really not. Right. So she called her mom and she was like, mom, why do I do this? And she was like, well, that's what I've always done. Yeah. You learned it for me. And she's like, well, I'll call my mom. So she calls her mom and she's like, hey, why do we cut the butts off our hands? And she was like, well, when we were first growing up, we were really poor and I didn't have a sheet pan big enough. So I would have to cut it so it would fit. Right. And so it's, you have to understand that there are metrics and values that you have obtained that you may have no idea where they came from. So I think a large portion to being able to change them is to being able to objectively step off the emotional roller coaster and kind of analyze a little bit. Hmm. Did you have a hard process you went through of like writing down what your current metrics were and thinking about that a bunch? And, or is this more of like a, you know, looking back on it, there's a, a gestalt of, oh yeah, I, I did this thing and I thought about it hard and changed. I think a lot of it was hoisted upon me or thrown upon me. Yeah. Because the metrics that I wanted to succeed in were not possible. Like I physically couldn't stand yeah. up. Man. So like the metric of uh, being good at sports or doing these things in high school was not conducive to the long-term happiness. Yeah. Right? So like my freshman year of high school, I get on varsity wrestling. I love it. I'm a stud. Right? My sophomore year, I'm like, hey, I want to go back out for wrestling. But I've realized after I work out, I throw up and can't see straight. Jeez. How did you get through all that? Uh, like, uh, you know, how, yeah. How does it affect you now? We'll jump into that. But I think because I was limited health-wise, I had to understand you can still be successful without hitting the metrics mm -hmm. that other people are using yeah. to obtain the core value. And I think it was a lot of it because I was so sick, I couldn't even achieve the metrics if I tried. Yeah. Right? Yeah, it was, like I couldn't even achieve. It was obvious to you. It was forced upon you. Yeah. Just like, if I can was, survive here, if I can, if I can make it back to school, then... And, it's a good and day. forced was the word, right? And so my genetic disease, Yeah, my little sister also has it. And going through the same thing, right? Like 22, going to take her ACTs because she would like to get into a college. But it's frustrating because from society's perspective, she should have been done with her ACTs at 16. Yeah. Right? Her friends are graduating college and she's trying to get in. Yeah. Right. So I think a lot of it was forced. Yeah. That's going to be really super difficult mentally yep. and just, you know, spiritually or however you want to talk about it, uh, just to get through yep. for your sister as well. So underlying core of what it is, I've got a myriad of different diseases hmm. and on their own, they're not that bad, but together they cause some issues. Growing up, neurologists would always ask to write books on me because of how crazy my circumstances were. Wow. I always said no, because I don't like 
historically talking about my sickness, I always felt it was limiting, right? So this is the thing that's causing me to fail these metrics. Okay, yeah, don't, don't look at me. A lot almost. tied up in it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So kind of the core of it is I have something called Ehlers-Donlos, which in the simplest terms is like my connective tissue doesn't work like it should. Mm. So like I can just stretch all the skin off my face, right? Like connective tissue is not functioning correctly and that causes some other issues. But the biggest one was I hit puberty and I'm pretty tall. I'm 6'3", 6'4", right? And I went from short and pudgy to really tall and lanky. And during that exponential growth, the myelin sheath, so like the, the fat yeah. that carries electrical transmissions, kind of got a little wonky, right? It didn't grow like it should or who knows. So it created some issues. Well, like the cyclic vomiting syndrome is what they describe it as. So it's throwing up 60 times a day. Yeah, that's a weird uh, symptom, right? I imagine like, yeah. the, you, like you said, t- trouble standing up or the stumbling yeah. or not, you know, nerves yeah. not not connecting up right makes some sense, yeah. but vomiting is, is odd. Yeah. So it's your autonomic nervous system. So everything you do without thinking about it, right? So postural orthostatic tachycardia. So that was going flat to up. So what happens is mm. you have a, a sympathetic and a parasympathetic system in your heart. When you stand up, you obviously need blood in places that it wasn't before. Yep. So your heart rate kicks up. And then you have a system, the parasympathetic system, I believe, uh, in your heart that says, hey, blood's actively distributed. We can calm it down for a bit, right? And then you go back to your standing heart rate. Mine didn't work. So I would stand up. And a couple minutes later, my heart rate would be at like 220. And the way your body self-regulates that is just to faint you. Yeah. <laughs> so you go back to flat. And there's no stress on your heart Jeez. and blood circulates how it's supposed to. Wow. But our bodies are like so incredibly body. complex, right? Like that yeah. it's incredible they work at all, the, you know, about, both from like the molecular level to, uh, to this like larger systematic level that the tiniest little thing being wrong can lead to this cascade of stuff. Did you just kind of like grow out of that and made it through because you were able to catch up or was there like uh, treatments and medications that you're able to find that have helped you make it to this point? So I used to be on like 30 pills a day, like some pills to stop things, some pills to remove the side effects, some pills to remove those side effects, and then like a multivitamin 10 pill regimen. Yeah. But every time you go to a new doctor, they tell you to get off all your pills for two weeks before you come. So none of their tests are skewed. And I noticed I felt the same amount of sick on my pills, off my pills, but I could think clearly when I was off of them. Hmm. So I was kind of just like, I'm done. I'm not going back on pills, which I'm not giving out medical advice here. (laughs) It's probably a stupid idea. Bold move Um, for sure. Yeah. Bold move. Bold move for sure. But I'm pretty intelligent, I think. And I was able to figure out some patterns that really helped me. I think we've talked about this. I take a cold bath every day. Yeah. Yeah, you got uh, it. It's only yeah. uh, the, yeah. the, the so classic for, Joe Rogan plunge or I don't know how you... <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So for, for 15, every, 15 minutes every day, 
Um, I get in about 42 to 46 degree water. I submerge my hands, my feet, and the upper part of my cheekbones. Uh, Not the top of your head? Is that a thing? Oh, I find it hard to breathe with that submerged, uh, but you're, you're correct. So I go in, I go completely under for as long as I can, about 45 seconds. Yeah. I come up. I then submerge everything, and I look like a little frog on the water. Oh, it just leaves leave some breathing tubes yeah. out. Okay. Yep. Gotcha. Yep. So you do keep and your head I, as much um, as your head under as possible for this whole time. Yep. yep. Wow. And then I constantly go back to submerge myself. One of the things that causes issues with the pots and the Ehlers Donlows and all of those things is my body produces too much adrenaline. Mm. So by getting in this water, my body convinces itself I'm dying. And it produces all the epinephrine it can, which is like adrenaline, right? Yeah. So you dump that um, for the day. Is that the idea? Yeah. So I dump myself for the day. And after about four minutes, I start producing norepinephrine. So it just neutralizes adrenaline. And after another four minutes, three and a half, maybe, my body's completely free of adrenaline, right? And then I sit in for another X amount of minutes. And I feel like my body continues to produce the adrenaline canceling drug. So I kind of have a positive balance for the rest of the day. Hmm. So day by day, fight it out. That's epic. Yeah, I've been, I think about it a bunch. One thing I'm worried about, I was just thinking about the other day, and how, tell me how you handle this, is drowning in the sense of what if you jump in that thing or you dunk yourself all in and then you just pass out because today it's a worse thing yeah like is everybody watching you or do you put a strap around yourself and what do you do and that's the absolute valid concern i imagine the answer for a lot of people might just be nothing i just uh it's life life is dangerous the answer for me is nothing yeah right um i will cage that hedge it by saying my body has been producing too much adrenaline my entire life so i feel like the effects of too much adrenaline is different for me than someone else mm-hmm. like i my brother came and wanted to try it and he hopped in and he was like i can't see i can't breathe this is horrible i can't do it right uh, he did it because he's a man yeah job oh we still got in um, <laughs> stuck in there <laughs> can't see but I'm, gonna, I'm gonna get in um but not something i've ever been concerned at that's good yeah. yeah, it's good to check in with yourself there as you're, uh, check in as you're getting yourself. in, make sure you're, you're feeling strong. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I yeah. imagine, well, I think what one positive would be is if you're in this cold bath, you probably, you, know, you have a few minutes, you probably chill your body down, someone could revive you after you're frozen. Yeah, frozen down <laughs> yeah. the big plus. <laughs> big plus for sure. Well, make sure your yeah. wife's, wife's around, uh, someone to watch out for you, stay safe. Yeah, um, I'll be completely honest. Yeah. Most of the time, she can gauge how well I'm doing through the curse words I'm shouting when I initially <laughs> hop in, right? Like, oh, man, this is cold. Oh, man. Oh, okay, so it hasn't gotten easy for you? Yeah. Uh, the way you talk was it's it's like, oh, I just jumped right in. No, so it's gotten easier because I understand the benefits and I can see them. And I would say maybe 30%, 40% of the days. It's just like grit your teeth and pure willpower. Wow. Have you tried any breathing stuff to get in there? The Wim Hof exercise and all that stuff? Yeah, I I breathe the whole time I'm in there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
So those deep breaths, you know what I mean? Through your diaphragm, that whole nine. But yeah, I don't know too much about it, but I just, I just know that that's part of enjoying it or getting through yeah. it in a, in a reasonable way or something is, uh, yeah. Teaching your body to chill out. But I think if you're staying in that long already, like you, you must've gotten through that idea, right? Like at that temperature, you'd get out after two minutes if you're, if you're not really ready. And so I think a lot of it just boils down to stubbornness for me. You just got to grit your teeth and do stuff. Mm. So is that a common theme in, in your life? Is that, uh, is that how you got when I was in high school, yeah. I was in like a support group for a couple of other people who had the severity of illness I had mm. with a bunch of the side effects. Most of them at this point in life um, have feeding tubes because they were tired of eating it made them nauseous and they'd throw up um most of their muscles atrophied because you if you stand up and pass out a lot of people just kind of quit and stop standing up. up and then that causes blood issues and strokes and you know what i mean so i think stubbornness plays a key role in my life wow i don't care if i've thrown up 60 times today i'm gonna eat this piece of bread with some peanut butter on it because this is what I want to do to be successful, right? Or I don't care if I pass out when I stand up. I'll crawl. I'm getting off this couch and I'm going to go do something, yeah. right? Um, and I think a lot of it is big blessings from God, like completely honest. Like don't see myself getting out of this by myself, but... Is that part of your... Daily routine, you're, yeah. you're praying through a lot of these things. Yeah, yeah. So big believer in prayer, go to church every Sunday, do that whole nine. Nice. I think it is really important. And I think the other thing that's really cool is church, any organized religion, any kind of organized club has successful people mm. and they have a clear path of the metrics that meet values, right? And so like having a mentor or anything in life that shows you successful people that have achieved your values and shows you the metrics they use to get there. That is the like most important end all be all in my opinion, hmm. getting that mentorship, having someone who's kind of been through it and done it um, and showing others, these are the metrics, these are the values. This, this is how I went about it yeah yeah that's really awesome i mean uh, this has been a great conversation so far thank you uh, a ton chris that and, and kind of the point of this podcast was to just learn about how the people around us the people in our lives you know they have a big backstory or we all kind of have interesting stories in our lives it's not just yeah. uh some celebrities or some some other people out there that you're, you're already hearing about in the in the media um there's really just incredible people all around you so it's been super interesting that I, I haven't I haven't heard a lot of these things about you before and that, uh, you know, you, you just wouldn't know. You meet with people, you work together, you, you play together. And uh, um, yeah, there's so much we don't know yeah. about the struggles people are going through. Um, so on, yeah, the more positive side of that note, what, what do you think of as some of your biggest wins in life or like the, the biggest success? Like if you had to choose your top three successes, or just top one, if you don't feel like you're going deeper yeah. uh, across your whole life. What do you think of? 
first and foremost, just getting married to my wife. Yeah. 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 It's been a massive blessing and it has really helped me change, refine, edit my metrics and add some new values that mm -hmm. I didn't think were important. Yeah. It's been a really big blessing in my life. How has it, how has it changed your metrics? I guess, was that not, was that one of them before you got married? Was it like always a, a dream that like, oh yeah, that's part of my goal or was it uh, something that kind of popped up that way? Something that kind of popped up. So I was, I was pretty intent on not getting married. Did, did you have that kind of fatalistic, uh, I don't have much time, like kind of feeling? Or what kind of led me there was the same kind of insecurities about putting a resume together. Mm. Like, what do I have to offer here? Like, how am I a benefit and not a hindrance, right? So there's a kind of a couple of the key things that were like, and don't get me wrong, I'm a very social person. Hey, great at interacting. I love interacting. But at the end of the day, I'm going to be sitting in the bathroom throwing up tired, right? Like, how do you chain yourself to someone like that? Oh, and how do you go on a date too, right? I mean... There's yeah. some, was and that, so, was that a logistical issue for you too? Like, you know, the, no. just feeling good enough to go do those normal life activities. Yeah. And so that's a logistical issue in itself. Hey, we need to go shopping. The house needs to be cleaned. The baby needs to uh, be watched and, and have its diaper changed. Yeah. Where right? you are now. Like, that's, that's where you've gotten to. Which, yeah. Which one of those do you want to do? And it kind of taxing to think, Hey, I've expended all the energy I have. I'm sick, documented, put a stamp on it. I just want to go lay down. So it's kind of helped me back to the metrics. It has helped me realize mm, I'm not the most important. Like you said, everyone, I'm under the impression everyone is having a hard time. If you treat someone like they're having the hardest time they've ever had, you'll probably write 50% of the time. People are just maxed out emotionally, physically, spiritually, financially, whatever it is, people are maxed out most of the time. Yeah, I'd agree so with I, that. They're, I, they're struggling with something. It's not the same thing you are, probably. Yeah. Not, not you, Chris, yeah. but it, like, you know, whoever you are out there, we're all having a, a tough time. Yeah. yeah. And, and working so hard really, to, to get to the next step and try to find success. And I don't think I've ever met someone who wasn't struggling. And I don't think I've honestly ever met someone, maybe one or two people who weren't trying to get out of it. Everyone is trying. And so I think kind of understanding this is what I'm going through. This person is probably going through something harder than me. Right. I think is, is really, really important. Yeah. You're great at that, at, at having that empathy and having that uh, ability to put yourself in someone else's shoes and and then treat them that way. That's a pretty difficult and amazing skill to have that I think is a big part of your success or of why you've, you're personable or that skill. Do you, did that come from that, that mom and grandma kind of thing you think, or is it just uh, an innateness of you? But, you know, is that a learned yeah. or just like a built in, built in feeling? So I, I think it's tri-factored comes from the mom and grandma comes from just my innate personality and my ability to interact. And this is also what I would say uh, on that second point. Stress has always made me sick. 
right? So like, just like my great grandma needed to, or my grandma needed to understand how to interact so she didn't get hit. I've always needed to understand how to interact so I don't get stressed out and have to go through it. Very instant feedback. Like if I handle a situation wrong sometimes, I'm like, oh, I messed up. Got to go throw up, right? Because that's just how my body is kind of used to handling things. Trying to work on it, you know. And then the third thing I would say is while I was sick, I used to kind of just hang out, play video games, relax. And while I did that, my dad worked from home and my dad is a moderator. So I kind of would just hear my dad talking in the back and he'd be talking about all these soft things. So I really got it on three separate fronts, right? Internally from myself, from my mom, from my dad. Mm. I was just surrounded by emotionally intelligent people. Yeah. Asking those, those emotional empathetic questions all the time and yeah. <laughs> never about yeah. himself. Yeah. Yep. And so that's, if you think you've had fun conversations with your parents, you just wait till your parents are like emotionally in it all the time, right? So like we used to come home from school and we'd complain like Billy hit me in the face and my mom would be like, that's tough. <laughs> what do you think's going on in Billy's life that made him feel like he had to hit you in the face? And we'd be like, uh, I guess, I guess Billy failed to test. And my mom would be like, Billy was probably pretty sad, right? Wow. Billy probably had like a hard day at home and didn't want to have to go tell his mom he failed his test. Wow. Right? And so like- What an amazing gift. Yeah. Yeah. So from a young age, really think about others. How is this impacting the group? Emotionally, what is this doing? Has been really highly present. And it's, it's also why I'm successful and have had these amazing job opportunities is I just think about others and I know how to emotionally interact. And that has surpassed so many other things. Yeah. Yeah. So my brothers have MBAs from business schools, right? Um, Top business schools. Nice. And um, both of them had similar experiences where someone came in and said, none of you are going to be millionaires because you don't have the soft skills needed, right? Like hard skills, intellect, all these things get you so far, Hmm. but soft skills are what make up a majority, right? And there's exceptions, right? Mark Zuckerberg, Elon Musk, all of these people, Hmm. um, but a majority of them come through soft skills. I would agree with that. The corporate world is is largely a political space and the soft skills are what move you around and not how good you can move numbers in a spreadsheet. That's for sure. You brought up, I think, an interesting topic there too of, you know, those great skills that your parents gave to you and now, now you're a parent and everything. What's, uh, what are your parenting tips or how do you, how do you think you can find (laughs) success as a a parent? (laughs) Well, I'll I'll caveat all this. We're saying my child's one. Um, 13 months. Yep. I don't know why we count the months after one. I guess it's important for developmental things. Ever changing every day. Like I have no idea. I don't know how to do it. And it's crazy to think that 
you can have a one-year-old and you've already messed up so many times parenting-wise. Funny, funny little story. I hope my wife doesn't mind me telling this. <laughs> um, so they gave us a baby at the hospital. And they're like, cool, this is yours. What? And we're like, we're like, what do we do now? Right? Like, okay, I thought you were going to like, and it wasn't actually yours. <laughs> no, it was, like, it was our baby. They leave. And they're like, we'll let you have some time to relax. And so we like, I swaddle the baby. And the nurse comes back in like 20 minutes later. And is like, you have overswaddled the baby. One blanket, all it needs right now. You cannot get babies too hot. And so we're like, okay, almost killed my kid. One blanket max, right? So it's, he was born in December. So we come home. It's cold outside, right? Texas doesn't have the greatest insulation, whatever. So we swaddle my kid, one blanket, max. I'm not overheating it. Just cries for like two days straight. Cries, 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 cries. So upset. We go to the doctor. They're like, hey, he's lost too much weight. What are you guys doing wrong? He needs to be gaining some back in the next couple of days. My wife's from Canada. Her mom comes down on like day three and is like, what are you idiots doing? This kid needs to be in two blankets, maybe three. This is how you're going to feed him. This is how you're going to do ABC. Instantly stops crying, sleeps like a champ, gains all his weight back, messed up so bad. But like you just can't let messing up stop you from trying in the future, right? And I'm, and back to my earlier point, this is this is a song I'll sing till I die. Her mom had a different set of metrics, different set of values, different set of experiences, and we adopted some of those to be successful. So I think in terms of metrics that we're going to apply to our child, I'm sure that there's a lot that will just come off naturally without even us knowing about it, hmm. right? But I think there's a couple we can handpick from her family, a couple we can handpick from my family, and a couple we can handpick from successful models we've seen, and we can implement those. And then I think the most important part is realizing the negative things in her family, negative things in my family, and maybe some of the negative aspects of society we really don't like, and understand the metrics that are leading to those outcomes, and maybe some of the values that people are prioritizing and kind of go about trying to change those. Hmm. Yeah. When the kids are young like that, it really takes a village and to, you know, a new parent coming in and, you know, getting the knowledge from the prior generation, from mothers of the past and, and dads, but uh, especially the mothers, uh, <laughs> you know, yeah. people have been doing that throughout time passing it on the most basic functions and breastfeeding. We saw that as like a, a big thing in our family too, that it was just way more difficult than we thought it'd be. And going to the counselor for that was like just so valuable as a, as a tool to like get, get through this easy. And that's always the advice we give everyone is to like go to the lactation consultants early and often. You had kind of had that experience of, hey, we can't quite tell what's wrong, but someone else comes in and they're like, hey, this is, this is easy. Like, let me, let me show you the tips and tricks on how to do this. I, and what I was thinking of is as our son's three now, and I don't feel like that same thing happens as much then. Like that it's unique to that, that early time in life. And then after that, it's kind of more on you to figure things out, or maybe we need more of that as a society, yeah. more, more kind of group parenting. Me and my wife have had this conversation multiple times. Sometimes 
generational living sounds really appealing, right? Mm. Of like, this is how you take care of a baby. This is how you take care of a three-year-old. This is how you take care of a five-year-old. These are some of the things that you need to be worried about. Yeah. I think there was a lot of value in that. Um, we start to get set in our you, ways. Yeah. Interrupting a moment, but it, you know, we start to get set in our ways and then it's like up to you. And if other, other people give you information, it's more like I should be rejecting that because like I have a path or I've, you know, I've found my way and, and this, is, this is how my kids should be raised. And I don't know why that switch happens to people. It's interesting. Yeah. yeah. And so like, I come from a large family. I have six brothers and sisters, including myself. So six siblings in the set. And um, I call them all the time now. I'm like, hey, my kid doesn't know how to blow his nose. How do you get boogers out of a kid's nose? Yeah. Right? Like, and so it's just, there's like a wealth of experience. Yeah, that's great. There's so many people who have been through it successfully or unsuccessfully. Like, how do we start leveraging them more? And I think that's the cool thing to me about podcasts like this is it's just documenting and disseminating the information that so many people have and kind of getting these everyday insights out to everybody. Yeah. It's really, it's really cool. I mean, it's, it's super admirable. Thank you. Appreciate it. Even saying the title in there. That's great. <laughs> You can include me in the promo. <laughs> All right. One thing I find really interesting and difficult is the raising our kid together, right? Like the, the relationship between the the mother and the father or whatever you know, situation that happens yeah. to be in. Um, but you kind of brought that up in one of your last statements of you and your wife taking insights from your, both your families and kind of combining that to choose your own path. And, and that, the process can be really difficult. How do you how do you get through that? I think the number one thing that has made my marriage successful is my wife is always willing to have a conversation. And sometimes this conversation is splintered over four days. And sometimes it's in a 30-minute window. But she is always willing to go and analyze, reflect, and kind of come up with an answer. And the same ask me questions of like, hey, you're doing this. Why are you doing that? And so I think that's the most important thing is we align on all the values. 95%, 90% of the values mm. we're, in, we're in accordance on of the things that are important. But it kind of goes back to these values and metrics that we've been talking about. I want my kid to be happy and successful. She wants our kid to be happy and successful what she thinks will make happiness or she thinks will make successfulness may be diametrically opposed to the path that I think will bring it. So understanding that we have the same core value and then un kind of forging a path that we both think can get there has been really beneficial. Hmm. And that's, that's the thing is understanding we both want what's best for this kid. Your path to it and my path to it may be completely different. We want our child to be happy. So she sings him like show tunes, right? Like she's from a musical family. She enjoys music, right? And I'm from like throw a ball at the kid, right? <laughs> and so it's like sometimes she's singing songs and I'm like, why are we singing songs? Songs, songs provide nothing. And I'm, 
I don't, I'm not trying to get hate on your podcast. <laughs> so anti-music. Wonderful. Huh? Jeez. Yeah. I listen to music 24 seven. I love it. I'm just not gifted. So it's something I've never placed importance on. Right. And so I am trying to show happiness by the things that I think have brought me happiness. And she's trying to show it by the things that have brought her happiness. And a lot of that is kind of where your personality and where your talents lie, mm. right? And so our kid may come out and just be, I hate sports, I hate music, but computer programming, man, it just clicks. So how do me and my wife both feel like our kid's moving forward and our kid feel like he's moving forward when there are three different sets of priorities? You touched earlier on, you know, that empathy as, a, as the core of your your success. And I think this is a key thing. Understanding that she is trying to do the same thing you are. She yeah. wants the best for your son and is trying to give it to him. And when, yeah. when you disagree on something, this is true in, in all arguments, whether it's some abortion debate or some other thing, you know, it's like understanding the other person there also has the same kind of real underlying life values and goals that you do. And it's just kind of yeah. how you're coming about trying to solve the problem that's that's different so i think like it makes me a bad politician because you just like abortion right pretty heated topic i can see how both sides are like we want this person to be happy yeah we want this person to have agency and feel love and go through this process i'm kind of a bad politician but a really good listener I think being overly empathetic and too high touch on the emotions has its flaws. I don't think you can skate through life on that and that alone, but it leads to, it can, and I've had to work on this, being hyperbolic in your speech and placating too hard to your audience. It kind of encourages or gives you the innate ability to be lightly dishonest so people hear what they want to hear. As you try to talk about, is it good for a politician or not? It's probably like the perfect kind of skill. Uh, yeah. it's, it's, there's another layer on top of that of then manipulating people with it, right? That um, yeah. is what, how you can become maybe devilishly <laughs> successful is, is you definitely to manipulate people you need to understand what their true goal is. That's something I have to work really hard on because when I was a kid, teenager, my parents one time, told me flat out, we believe about 75% of what you say. And the other 25%, we don't think you're doing it maliciously. We think you're just telling us what will cause the least amount of stress. Hmm. And so sometimes in marriage, in life, professionally, you have to have hard conversations that are uncomfortable. And you can't placate. You have to have a side. You have to stand with it. And you have to back it up, right? So that's a skill that I have had to learn and develop is how to be okay if there's uncomfortable conversations. How to be okay when I feel alienated or by myself or whatever. Yeah, that makes me want to ask a little more about your career stuff too. Of Like across all those different jobs, we could just do the biggest success and biggest failure kind of thing of, uh, yeah. you know, whether it was volleyball or pumping or 
yeah. any other any other spot in there or think piece um what do you think of as some of your biggest accomplishments biggest accomplishments I think just getting the jobs has been a massive accomplishment in my mind, right? Like just getting enough money to scrape by has been number one accomplishment that I've ever achieved because growing up, I never thought it would happen. And I think the second accomplishment is, and it's kind of dovetailed into that big blessing that I've been able to get jobs that I find joy in. Yeah. So like, I love talking to people and I love kind of team building. And so volleyball coach, pumper, all of these things, I've been able to coach or teach or mentor or distill my perspective to help others move forward. Right. So that's been the biggest successes is just getting a job is massive in my mind. And then having a job that allows me to use my innate skills and help people move forward. Just disgusting success. Yeah, you've given a great example of how you've set your goals at a attainable level. Both of those yeah. things, right? It's like um, just feeling success through the fact that you're able to get a job and move to this point in your life. And then like, challenges wise, one thing we were talking about was, was the coaching of people or the giving that hard message. Is there any good example of that stuff that comes to your mind or that you can teach us about? So I was, I was best friends with the bus driver, right? Who drove people to and from the events. And I was talking to him one time and he was like talking to me about how he loved being a bus driver, right? It was, it was really enjoyable. It was fun. Like he got to see countryside all the time or the roads or whatever. But he said, the biggest challenge of being a bus driver was, and so they get paid by a mile they drive or whatever, right? And so he said the biggest challenge of being a bus driver was how big his Christmas bonus was depended on the emotional resilience of high school students. So if, if the team went to state or made it to the playoffs or did whatever, he had triple the driving time he would otherwise. So weird. So his thing was, how do you financially plan for the emotional resilience of a bunch of 16-year-old girls? How do you expect them to keep it calm and make your financial plans around that, right? And so I think that's a, that was a challenge that popped into my mind from volleyball is the metrics you use can't be reliant upon I had someone come and visit me in Texas one time. I love brisket. And I talked this brisket place up. Pecan Lodge is the best brisket you'll ever eat. You're going to love it. It's going to be great. It's going to be perfect. It's your plug of the day. All right. Pecan Lodge. Like, yeah. And so I'm like, I'm talking this place up. Right. And someone comes to Texas. I've been to Pecan Lodge more times than I would care to admit. They've got probably thousands of dollars from me and so i'm like gonna be amazing and we get there and it's absolute crap right i guess like one of pitmasters was out or something got overdone yeah and we get this just a fail meal yeah dog feed brisket right 
And so it's like, I now feel embarrassed and have a hard time. And I don't want to interact with this person. And they're judging me because I put a value or a metric or whatever outside of my control. So I think that's the, been the big thing is like, I judge myself on showing up or putting in work or putting in effort. I don't judge myself on someone else's ability to transfer that. Hmm. It would go to the last part a little bit more. So I can't control Pecan Lodge. Yeah. Right. I can, I have no, my thumb is not in the pie to tell you if they have great brisket that day. I can say, anecdotally speaking, nine out of 10 times I've been, would recommend best barbecue in Dallas, right? But if I'm putting pride or satisfaction in Pecan Lodge's ability to deliver, it's a recipe for disaster so, because so I yeah, can't you're, control it. You're able to still give the recommendation. It sounds like, yep. you know, you, you could still say that positive thing. It's more about how you tie your personal worth and personal value to that recommendation of saying, yeah, I am a person who knows this barbecue. I can get you to the best place. I know what's good versus just saying like, oh, here's a place I've found to be really good. And there's just yep. this like subtle difference of how much worth you're putting on it and your personal value of I'm a great recommender versus just, oh, this is a good place. If my values and my metrics are tied to whether Pecan Lodge performs, I'm setting myself up to fail. But if my value is I give good recommendations, whether or not they deliver, not on me, but I can prove that this place is great from my own effort, hmm. uh, you're setting yourself up for success. Does that make sense? A little bit, yeah. If they need me to be a spokesperson, you just let me know, Pecan Lodge. I love you. Yeah, I look forward to uh, trying to get down there and uh, taste that brisket sometime. I made a couple briskets this year. And, uh, How did it turn out? Mediocre. Good, good. Like really nice. But it was my first time doing it. It was like, you know, surely, surely was not up to Pecan Lodge standards, I imagine. It really gave no me way. a great, uh, I think I told you this once, maybe, but a great appreciation for the meal itself of how much work goes into making that particular meat cut. Um, yeah. Is that I never really, I didn't appreciate it before. It's like, oh, there's brisket on the menu or this, oh, oh, there's these, you go to a barbecue place and there's three or four different things you could get. And okay, brisket's one of them. Uh, it comes on there and like, oh yeah, this is pretty good. Um, versus like after making it and seeing that it took me, you know, I literally was staying up all night basting this thing and screwing around with stuff and waking up every few hours to do it and seeing the amount of production that you need to do for 24 hours to get to that final product really made me feel like uh, a new appreciation. Like I should, every time I eat it, be like, wow, thank you for spending your entire day or getting your logistics right as a restaurant to somehow be continuously producing this um, yeah. is incredible. One of the most frustrating things for me is when people are like, we have brisket. And you go and you eat it and it was like cooked in a water bath and they have artificial smoke dripped over it and it just doesn't taste like brisket. Mm. Right. So like, hate it, hate it, hate it, hate it because there's certain things that you expect with the brisket, right? Like I expect you to smoke it. I expect it to be labor intensive. I expect ABC. And when you don't deliver on what you think makes the fundamental brisket, 
kind of frustrating sometimes. Do you obsess over other barbecue meats or is brisket the main one? I love kielbasa sausage. That's a somewhat rare one. All right. I don't hear people yep. say that yep. ever. Yeah. Well, we're going to Texas. Yeah. Is that on all the menus? Okay. All right. Yeah. We used to eat kielbasa yep. when I was a kid. You know, that was like one of the things my mom would get for some some meals each week or you know, every every few weeks. But I yep. then I've maybe not heard about it really. <laughs> but barbecue yeah. places always have some kind of sausagey thing. While I'm making food recommendations, go get a Natchitoches meat pie. Literally the best thing you'll ever eat. So is that a, there's that one What as well. is that? Tell me about it. It's like a, uh, have you ever had a French meat pie? No. Or an empanada? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So Natchitoches meat pie. Louisiana, it's like a another pocket of pocket of stuff. Yep, it's it, it's, a, it's like a fried pocket of Cajun meat. It's a, and they are it's a really good hot shit. pocket. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> See if I can offend anyone with that. Two more main questions I think we should talk about with regards to success, I and mean, then maybe we'll do a couple of little things. One is the things that help and hinder, mm-hmm. right? So, like, if we pick out one of those big successes and then think about how relationships really push you towards that success or like maybe with your marriage, that could be one that you you, you said was a, a big success. Like you got to that point, but like who kind of helped you along the way or how do the relationships around you influence your ability to find that success? Yeah, that's, that's an amazing question. And so I think marriage, for example, right? There is a, a chain of girlfriends that I had before I got married and I could, I could list out the chain and I could tell you all the wonderful things that that relationship has imparted upon me. Right. And so it wasn't, I'm, it didn't go from being 18 years old and being like, I will never get married. I'm a burden to being 27, 28 and getting married. I didn't, it, it's not a jump that happened overnight. Yeah. Okay. But looking back, I can tell you stepwise the process that I went through. And so it's really interesting to think if I had not surrounded myself with such a high caliber of people or high caliber of person where my path would have ended. So I think the relationships that you have and the people that you kind of adopt values and metrics from are pivotal to where you end up in life. I love that idea that these relationships you had weren't just stepping stones or things that didn't work out like a failure. Like I I thought this was a good one and then it failed, but instead they were moments that you learned something new, things that built up that you, you get something out of each one and both parties learn something about each other and themselves. Yeah. And it leads you to a a positive outcome or a a better thing in the future, even if that relationship doesn't turn into a marriage, right? Yeah. And all those relationships failed. And some of them failed. Spectacularly. Yeah. Right? Just up in flames. But I think you just absolutely nailed it. I was able to adopt values or metrics or have my values or metrics opened or changed or influenced so that I could progress forward. You're either in a steady upward cycle or you're going the other way. Progression is one of those things 
that needs to be happening at all time. And you can either be deliberate about it or you can let it happen to you. So I know people who have willingly gone where the wind blows and they're very successful, but they have no say in how they got there. It's really easy to focus on the failures of the, the, the relationships blew up in flames or like that's the last part. That's the part you remember sometimes the most and how this thing broke. But to not look at it that way and try to think of it, the positive things you learned or that those things led you towards a better time in the future seems like a much healthier way to observe our past yeah. than to focus on our failures, which is the natural kind of human thing to do. And I cannot underscore this enough. Some of them were absolute failure. Like me crying, unable to like, this is over, my life's horrible, right? I don't think you're alone in feeling that, I'm sure. Yeah. Everyone yeah, listening yeah. Has, has felt those same, same feelings with relationships. Right. Yeah. And so even like sometimes in my current relationship, I'll express something and it won't be received the way that I intended for it to be received. And I'm like, I'm an absolute failure. I'm not communicating. And this has been actually really hard for me. Me and my wife have vastly different communication styles. And for someone who has prided themselves on their ability to interact with others, when my wife doesn't get my interaction, I'm like, I'm messed up. Like, how am I supposedly good at this? Do it professionally. Can't convey it to the person who I love most and I'm trying to help out. Mm. So like absolute failure felt, but like, how do you step past the failure? and be like, hey, listen, we're still moving forward. Like, how do, you, how do you step past that and get out of it? How have I stepped through failure over time? My biggest trick on doing any of that is focusing on something new and trying to set a big goal for myself and then work towards it. I think I'm always trying to like, come up with new skills or learn about something new. And uh, one of my ultimate goals here to, is to create some kind of art or some lasting thing for the world that helps people and has some kind of lasting impact. Um, so I think when I'm feeling those failure times, try to go back to that, that core mission. I'm trying to think of like a good example. It's a question I've failed in interviews before in the past, which is a painful thing of like, yeah, talking about a time you've, you've failed at something and I'm like, I, I can't remember <laughs> <laughs> would, maybe that's the real way I deal with it is like amnesia, yeah. failure amnesia. Hopefully as I record a whole bunch more of these, I'll be touching more on that. Originally when I was coming up with the idea for this podcast, a lot of it was maybe going to be about just catching up with my old friends from, from the past and kind of digging through some of those stories as well of like, maybe I had a traumatic time with them or a, a failure issue or something and, and rehashing that or coming back to it like 25 years later, 20 years later or whatever, like yeah. when maybe it didn't seem that way at the time or I didn't even know it and, and then kind of digging that out together. I'm scared to do that and I don't know if that'll even be good for the medium or anything, but, uh, yeah. but maybe, <laughs> maybe I'll be there maybe. talking about failure a bunch right here yeah. with our and friends. The thing that's come up to me is just about perspective, right? Like everyone has failures. Everyone has millions of them. That's like being human. Yeah. Right. So it's just understanding what you were trying to accomplish when you failed and understanding how to pivot 
to make it more successful in the future. And, and that, like we learned from you here that, you know, holding that empathy in your heart is, is often the key to any of this. I'm sure those people out there that I hurt or that hurt me, you know, like that, you know, they were going through something difficult or, or I was, or we were both struggling to overcome our own issues that go on in our minds. And if everyone can step back that way and observe life and the world as a slightly more existential, then that could help everyone get yeah. through stuff and, and kind of forget some of the pain of any of those failures and, and focus on the learnings and that positive thing, like you mentioned. Yeah. yeah. I like it. All right. Why don't we switch lastly to some, some current event type topics, more mm. silly, fun stuff. One thing we've been chatting about over time is, is AI, I think, yeah. and like the rise of AI tools. I think there's a lot of contentious opinions about it. Where do you fall? What have you been finding useful? Do you think so, it's going to destroy your market research job? You know? I love stable diffusion, right? So my wife was like, I want to decorate our house. I want all these photos, all of these, whatever. And I was like, once again, this is a value thing. I don't see the value in having that artwork. Right? Like, what are we going to do? I don't want to pay for that. So we sat down, stable diffusion, got really good at writing prompts. Now our house is decorated with AI artwork that looks professionally done, right? You save it locally, send it out to a shop, get it put on canvas, a really nice paper for 30 Have you done it already? Have you gone through the whole yes. process? Wow. All yes. right. Absolutely love it. Absolutely love it. Yeah. So. I think it's all about just getting good at writing prompts, right? Like that is the core of it. Yeah. It's like so easy and yet not easy at all, right? What, yeah. Were you, you using Midjourney or one of the other ones or were you just stable diffusion on your local computer? Or? Yeah. Stable diffusion on my local computer. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Stable diffusion on my local computer. And I'm using automatic 1111. Yeah. He has a gorgeous web UI. I run, run it through that. Um, and then I found that the best thing to do is to give it artists. So say, hey, this kind of style, this kind of influence, this kind of person. Um, yeah. Absolutely the best way to do it. Actually, the, you know, that's the key problem people have, right? You're just stealing that that's artist. Or yeah, yeah. <laughs> the core of it. I ran across on Twitter an interesting artist who was recently who was sharing out, who trained the model to copy his own art and then was freely yeah. sharing that model. And people were really praising that as, uh, oh, it's so great that he's doing this. And that's really the way forward. And that's what an artist should be. I have, I have not come to a conclusion yet of, of, of whether that's a positive thing or not. It seems, of course, it's amazing that you can do that and that yeah. he's able to then produce more artwork in his style, very low effort. And, and then he can iterate on it and improve it. Um, right. But is that, should we be lauding that as this is, what an artist is. That's, yeah. the only, that's the only way to be right, is to freely give away your stuff and, and so your style. I had someone really smart one time, one of the flame relationships um, from a very artistic family, and they said something along the lines of being artistic is the ability to recognize art, right? Like just being able to recognize it. So I'm kind of on the fence either side, right? Like I can see both sides of it pretty clearly. My thought though, is like the cat's out of the bag. Like you're not 
you're not backtracking. You're not going to come to my house, take my local instance of stable diffusion and get me to stop using it. Yeah. It's like an irrelevant argument, maybe. Is that, yeah. I have felt that way too about uh, a friend of mine were arguing about uh, chat GPT and the rise of that or like how much it's going to, or is already just destroying the, uh, the paper that a kid does, the fourth grade paper on Michigan or whatever it is, you know, that yeah. you can just ask it to uh, write that for you in the style of a fourth grader. And all of a sudden it's done. Like, it's uh, done. Right. And so I have a buddy. So what does that mean anymore? I wrote his entire resume on it. And it's a good resume. It's like a really good resume. And he's like, chat GPT. Right. So it's. I think it's because it's read a billion resumes, whatever. <laughs> so it knows what, you know, yeah. it doesn't know what's a good resume, I guess, but it knows what's everybody else has put in there. Like it's still up to you. Correct. I mean, I think the right way to use that stuff, right, is you print that out and then you choose from it what looks good to you. Go back and edit yeah. it a couple of times, you know, make sure it's speaks to your actual experience. And I think though you just absolutely nailed it, both with this example and with the artist. If I can get it to do 85% of the work for me and I am just a fact check or a curator or whatever that secondary tertiary role is, then I, it's vastly useful. The issue is when people wholesale, whole cloth plagiarize from it and say, this is me, right? Five minutes later. Wow. Super cool. And, and really neat that you've spent that time going through it. I'd like to formally invite you to Detloff Enterprises. <laughs> You're welcome. All right. It's a neat idea. Even if you go run off with it without me, uh, I'll be very proud of you. Yeah, um, that'd be cool. All right. So maybe we'll my, cut there. We'll cut some stuff out. Uh, my risk tolerance is a little too low, though. That's been one of the great things. You were asking me at the very start some personal questions about how how I've been feeling with this new change in my career. And and that was the biggest benefit. I've, I've been wanting to go off and do, I've had this idea for this podcast for five or 10, I don't know, more than five years. And, and then I worked on other projects. You know, I made my a video game, wrote this little book last year, uh, did some music stuff. Like, I don't know, I go off and do these other things, but uh, never enough to take that leap out and, and into my own career. So leaving Intel was was really nice that way that there was this moment in time where they're giving packages to people to leave. And so, yeah, it feels good to like have my own time back and have that safety net of still getting paid for a little bit to establish myself and not feel like I'm totally gone. So I can understand your feeling because I felt that for many years that I was like, oh, man, I should be going out on my own. I should be doing something else and struggling to make that decision to move. And that's that's the thing for me. I guarantee you someone thinks of the exact same thing I just described and they probably think of it better and improve it. Or it will exist probably. It that, will I, exist. I've definitely found though that it's like a classic entrepreneur or business school type thing we learned was, uh, you know, like ideas are a dime a dozen, you know, it's for the execution that matters. So it's, yep. you know, having this idea is fun and cool. And I've had a, a thousand ideas in my life and yep. whether you go off and do them and try to create something and put in the work, the, you know, that idea turns into two years of really hard work to get it to a great product. And not everyone will do that. So uh, even though other people have had the idea, the point is, that's okay. You can still, you can still do something great uh, and be one of the five companies that really make money with it or not. Or 
Maybe, yeah. maybe the only one. All right. Excellent. So thank you very much, Chris. Anytime, Ian. It was great chatting and I hope we get to talk again soon. Yeah. Hey, I'm beyond appreciative. Let me know if you ever need anything. Absolutely. Thanks a ton for listening. Don't forget to like and subscribe. I hope you learned something and I'll see you again next time, friends.